still. We're calling for help. We're getting help. Don't worry about the car. I'm not worried about the car. This is from the movie Courageous, and um, right after that, the, uh, there's a report. The, the officers come, and they take a report, and they're driving off, and they say to one another, could you have held on to the wheel? Would you have been that kind of dad that you would have held on to the wheel? And they can't come up with an answer um, in, the, in the moment because it's almost like they've never considered this before. And most men I know um, would say, I would gladly give up my life to protect my family. And that's great. The problem is you can only die once for your family. That's the slide. You can only die once for your family, but you can live every day. You live for them every day. You can die once, you can only die for your family once, but you can live for them every day. And honestly, which is the more difficult job, dying for them or living for them? It's living for them because you do it every day. Years ago, Janie and I went to Montana on a mission trip and we were working on this church building. And so Janie and I would, uh, this was 20 21 years ago. Caleb was two and a half, Rachel was two months old, and my mom and my dad to watch the kids. Actually, mom was going to watch the kids during the morning while Janie and I did a backyard Bible club. Dad would go work with the men on the church. In the afternoon, Janie would go back and take care of the kids and I would go help the men on the church. And one of my favorite memories is my 75-year-old dad at the time getting up on the roof and throwing shingles to me. I had the, I had the nail gun and dad sitting on the, the ridge of the roof and he's junking because we wanted to finish this. Everybody else in our team left early because they had to get back. So this was on Friday, uh, the end of our week. It's just me, dad, and one other man and we finished the roof on this, uh, this church because dad was just chunking those. He was so proud of himself, 75 years old. He would tell anybody, I'm 75, get your rear up here. If a 75-year-old man can get it. And I'm going, yes, dad, you're right. He's throwing those shingles. Every time he would throw one right in place and I had, wouldn't have to replace it, you know, re, uh, move it around to get it in the right place, I would staple it down. He goes, that's a good shot, wasn't it? I'm like, yes, dad, another good shot. One of my favorite memories, though, is dad being on the roof with me working on this church in, in actually Laurel, Montana, just outside of Billings. Another one of my favorite memories is we left there and we took another week of vacation um, and we were driving this whole way and we went to Yellowstone uh, National Park. Now we went through something called Beartooth Pass. You've heard of Beartooth Pass, but it has been described as one of the most beautiful uh, scenic drives in the United States. Charles Corral, the, the, the uh, uh, former, uh, the, he's passed away now, news correspondent called it the most beautiful drive in America. Now here is just one, one picture of it. Go ahead and put that up there. It's not on there? Okay, not on there. I uh, thought it was. Um, we'll get that for the next service. Beartooth Pass. <laughs> okay, uh, Beartooth Pass is crazy with these switchbacks. Now, we're driving my mom and dad's brand new van. They bought a van so that we could go on this trip. And um, I'm driving the van. Dad's in the very back seat. Then our, my two children, Janie, mom's in the front. She's in the, in the co-pilot seat. And we're driving this thing. And, and you can't get the, the full effect of this. If you've ever been in Colorado, New Mexico, on some really steep mountain passes, that's what this is. And so I, I had never experienced 
noticed this before because I, I, you know, I've driven lots of youth groups and all that, but I'm driving my family. I got a two and a half year old son and my, my two month old daughter. I was white knuckling this thing the whole way. I've never been that scared in my entire life because I thought I'm responsible for all the people in this van. And Janie's going, ooh, look at that. And I'm going, I ain't looking. I'm driving. Ooh, look, you know, just this crazy, crazy pass. And we're driving along. And I thought, I have to be real careful here. When we finally got to the top, this is a place that is usually closed. This is how much snow they get. It's usually closed from October until May because there's too much snow up there and you cannot drive it. When we got to the top, July, so this was around July 11th of that year, we get to the top. There's still snow on the top and there's people skiing. Caleb, two and a half years old, we get out and we have a little snowball fight uh, there on the top of this mountain. This was an incredible thing. But here's what I got to thinking. That, that kind of that resembles parenting a child, doesn't it? There are dangers everywhere. And if you're not paying attention, your kids are going to go off the road, right? And so I thought, man, that starts with when they're born, <laughs> when they're teenagers. We talked about that last week. Some of you can relate to all of that. And so I started thinking, um, when we're parenting, it's very much like driving on a dangerous road. And so I've got some questions for men today, or if you're a single mom, a question for you, because you're, you're doing um, more than, than God ever intended for you to do. And we, we applaud single moms here. We want to help single moms here. But here's some questions to think about today. Number one is, where are you driving your family? Where are you driving your family? You're driving them somewhere. You're leading them somewhere. Right before um, Moses died, God had him anoint Joshua as the next leader of the children of Israel. They come through the Jordan River, they go into the promised land, and Joshua spent the rest of his life helping the 12 tribes of Israel claim the inheritance that God had promised them. This is your land. So there were battles in the land, they claimed the land. Right before Joshua dies, he challenges the people with these words. This is in Joshua 24. Starting in verse 14, he says to the people, he's about to die. God's told him he's about to die. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors, ancestors, wor- I can't say it, ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you reser- refuse to serve the Lord, then choose, choose today whom you will serve. And then he gives them options. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? You know, the gods that, got, that the one true God, the capital G God destroyed, choose them. If not them, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? So there's still some people in the land that are serving the lowercase g gods, the idol gods. Choose that one. If you're not going to follow the living God who's destroyed all of them, choose one. Choose. He says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And then look how the people respond. The people replied, pay attention to this. We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Joshua says, this is such a big deal, but whether you follow him or not, I'm going to serve the Lord. And the people said, oh no, we'll follow him. We'll follow him. Look what happens in Joshua 24, 31. Here's what it says. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. And here's the key. Those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. See, Joshua knew God personally and he led his family and the country like a man of God should. The elders who outlived Joshua knew God personally and they led the country and their families like a man of God should. But then something happened that was a complete embarrassment to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. After Joshua and all these elders die, look what it says in Judges chapter two, verse 10. 
After that generation died, Joshua, those elders, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. It was not ignorance of God, it was ignoring God. They knew the history, but they had not personally experienced him. They did not acknowledge him. So it was willful disobedience. It's like, it's like the nation quit going to church. It's like the nation quit reading God's word. They had the Old Testament. They quit reading it. They quit praying. They quit talking to the priests. So, so there's this, this shift as you're reading in the Old Testament. I'm right there. I'm in 2 Samuel right now in my devotional. There's this shift where, where people stop asking of God. Before that, people asked. People asked. God answered. And then all of a sudden, they quit asking of God. And there's, there's a result to that. And here's the result in, in the, the last of Judges, Judges 17, verse six. The result of a generation of men who do not acknowledge the Lord is this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now that's a lowercase k there. I think it's appropriate to say in America, they have no spiritual king with a, with a capital K, talking about God. And so all the people do whatever's right in their own eyes and the result of that is chaos. There is chaos in Haiti today because some people said we're gonna do what's right in our own eyes. They're protesting gas prices. You can read it all about it. Gas prices were supposed to go up by 50% last night at midnight. They started protesting before that happened. And even though the government um, rescinded that order, they're still protesting today. Armando, uh, we're Facebooking this morning. He said, normally in Haiti, Sunday is a day you do not protest because they're honoring the Lord. He said, this is different. They are protesting. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes because they don't have a spiritual K, a capital K king. Now, what's the result? The result is chaos. So how do we fix it? Well, it's in this next video clip called Accountable. Hey, Sarge, you call me? Yeah, they're still doing motions in here and I gotta get back to testify. Would you mind running these down to evidence for me? Appreciate it. Okay. Cops camp out to bust their friend. What have we been doing the last month? What did you commit to? Oh, don't you throw that in my face! I work hard to provide, and thirty-six thousand a year doesn't cut it. You do the same thing. I wouldn't do the same thing. Does your word mean nothing to you? 
You signed the same thing we did, and you're throwing it down the toilet for what? An extra thousand a month? I don't... You've been lying to all of us, Shane. Your friends, your son, to God? I don't... I'm a fellow officer and a friend. You do not want to do this. You're right. I don't. Turn around. Put your hands on the wall. You're under arrest. This is a mistake. This is a mistake. You're going to burn us all. Is that what you want? Is that really what you want? Is this what you want? Agreed, Adam. We are doubly accountable. You have an authority in your life, and, and it could be you, it could be somebody else. What I'm saying to you today is it's foolish to have an authority other than God. You're, you're going to get in trouble if the authority that you're under is not God. It's just the way things are. And, you know, we thought when you left your home that, that uh, when, when you were teenager, you thought, oh, I'm going to be out from under my parents' authority. Oh my gosh, authority just started, right? Since I left my parents' home, I have had more and more people tell me what to do, right? For example, I have a date every year with the IRS. You do too. What is that date? April 15th. Is that a negotiable date? No. Somebody is telling me, the federal government's telling me what I have to do. When you see a policeman out on the loop or on 155, what's your normal reaction? to check your speed or to let off the gas or to hit the brakes, depending on how much of a speed demon you are. Why? That friendly police officer is reminding you of what someone else wants you to do, right? I get every month, I get something from the electric company, from the phone company, from, from um, Dish Network or whoever you have. I get all these friendly reminders of what someone else wants me to do and when they want me to do it. How simple it was to only have our parents telling us what to do. Um, it's, it's not like that in the real world. And part of the problem is we want to have the freedom to do what we want with no consequences. And to be real honest, we want other people to be under authority. We just don't want to have to be under that same authority. So if I want to speed, I want to speed. I don't want you to speed. Don't you dare cut me off, right? This is the way we work. But here's the deal. I want you to understand Jesus lived out a very powerful principle that is contrary to everything you're going to hear outside the walls of a Christ Um, following Christ-honoring church, and here it is. Here's what Jesus showed us. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum freedom found under God's authority. In John 5, um, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and some religious leaders are upset. How dare you break one of our man-made commandments just to, to heal someone, to do something nice? And look what Jesus says in John 5, 30. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus says, I'm simply carrying out orders. I'm not doing anything on my own initiative. My father says it. I'm under his authority. I'm going to do it. This allowed Jesus to be the freest person in the world. And if you remember in John chapter 19, when he's standing before Pilate, Pilate says, don't you understand? I have authority over you. I can end your life if I want to. And Jesus looks at him, the freest man who ever lived, looked at the man who's about to cast him out to be crucified. Jesus says, you have no authority except what my father has given you. My father has so much more authority. I'm going to do and say what my father tells me to do and say. He was free because of that. Now, if you're not under God's authority, you're going to, you're going to have some issues. And, and so that brings me to the next question. If you're not under God's authority, you're running from somebody. So the question is, who are you running from? 
There are pretty much two types of people in a man's life, and, and it could be a woman, but I, I'm specifically te- teaching to, man, to men today. There's, there's people that you need to forgive and people from whom you need forgiveness. And in this next clip, watch an example of that. Do you really feel like you messed up your childhood not having a dad? More than you know. I struggled with who I was, trying to prove myself. Almost got in the game. You know, if fathers just did what they're supposed to do, half of the junk that we face on the streets wouldn't exist. Why are you worried about it? You nervous about being a father one day? I already am one. You got a kid? little girl she's four now I was playing ball in college hooked up with a cheerleader I told her to take care of it she didn't do it so I got mad and left her to deal with herself you know she lives 30 minutes away now I can't bring myself to go see her. Is she married? No. I just never really loved her, you know? And then hearing you guys talk about how fathers walking out messed up the kids, and then seeing this stuff, I don't want to be one of those guys. David? Part of being a man is about taking responsibility. Any fool can have a child. I'm just tired of feeling guilty. Let me break it to you this way. You are guilty. Listen, one day you, me, <laughs> and every one of us are going to have to stand before God. And he's going to do what good judges do. Well, and I hope my good outweighs my bad, Nathan. The way it works. You know that. Let me put it this way. Who's the person you're closest to? Probably my mom. Okay. Suppose she was brutally attacked and murdered in a parking lot. The guy was caught and put on trial. But he says, hey, judge, I committed this crime, but I've done a lot of good in my life. If the judge let him go free, Would you say he was a good judge or a bad judge? A bad one. That's right. Because the Bible says that God is a good judge, and he will punish the guilty not for what they did right, but for what they did wrong. Because he loved us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that we deserve and put it on himself. And that's why he died on the cross. But it only applies if you accept it. That's why I asked for his forgiveness. I asked him to save me. And I'm a new man because of Christ. You understand what I'm telling you? Then what's holding you back? If you need to forgive someone or you need forgiveness from someone, I want you to pay attention to this next passage of scripture. 
It's talking about Jesus says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That's a great line right there. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's where we got the the name of our church, this verse. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciliation of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We, We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Our job, we should be known as people who reconcile with others because that's what Jesus did. The message of the Bible is you're either a child of God or an enemy of God. There's no in between. And so we've got to be... when, when we stop seeing people as objects and we start seeing people like God did, we will see them as sheep without a shepherd. We'll see them as people who need the love of Christ and we'll look at them differently. This ministry of reconciliation is exactly what Jesus did when he was walking along and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he walks up to Zacchaeus, a despised chief tax collector and says, I'm going to your house today. See, all Jesus did was he was looking for where God was at work. And when he saw a Jewish man in a tree, that would never happen. That was beneath his dignity. But when he saw a Jewish man in a tree who had to see Jesus, Jesus said, my father's at work with him. I'm going to his house today. Regardless of what anyone says, I'm going to lead him to my father because God's working there. God's not going to use you though when you're running from those you need to forgive or that you need forgiveness from. So I got one more question, one more clip. Who will lead your family? You're driving them somewhere. Who's going to lead your family? And I love this one of my favorite clips of of this. Actually, it is my favorite uh, clip of this movie. Go ahead and run it. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect and should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, We'll give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, 
to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you and to say, I will, I will, I will. It stirs my heart and I think any man stirs your heart that I wanna be that man. Come hell or high water, I wanna be the man who leads my family and it's not easy, but God has called us to do that. And so I wanna challenge you men to follow Christ with everything that you have. And, and ladies, if you're, if you're not married to a man like that, then you follow Christ with all you have and you pray that God will get his heart. He will. But you have to, you have to lead until he takes up that leadership role. We're gonna do a study. I'm gonna be leading the men's study this September. We're gonna do a study over the life of Samson. I know Samson, a lot of ways he's a failure, but a lot of ways we can learn from him. In our men's Bible study on Wednesday nights for five weeks, I'm gonna lead that. We're gonna talk about how to fight for our families and how to be this type of man that says, I will lead my family. And I'm praying that many men will show up on Wednesday nights at 6.30 to engage in that. Be sure and read through your, uh, your announcements and, um, and keep praying for us. We need wisdom. I, I desperately wanna go to Haiti, but I don't wanna make an unwise choice. So be praying for us as we make that decision this week and pray that God will just show us so clearly that we can't mistake it. Let's pray together. And um, well, we got, don't even yell about it. Three baskets, joy basket, registration card basket, and the bagel basket at the back. Father, we just want to give you glory and praise. And I, I praise you that Jesus Christ was a man who said, I will be under your authority if it costs me my life. I will rescue lost people, though it costs me everything I have. And God, you have created in us a desire to be that type of leader. You, you created men and women to lead and to follow you, to have a purpose. God, raise us up to work and, and do everything we can to achieve that purpose through your power and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hug four people, tell them you love them, you're dismissed.